Welcome to episode 25 of Through the Noise with me, Alex Banks. And today I'm very excited to welcome Vinay Iyengar. Now, Vinay is a principal at Two Sigma Ventures, focusing on early stage investments in enterprise software, machine learning, marketplaces, and infrastructure. Prior to Two Sigma, Vinay was an investor at Bessemer Venture Partners, having been an angel or co-invested with Bessemer in the likes of Canva, Discord, and Zapier, among others. Before Bessemer, Vinay started his career as a machine learning engineer at Intel Corporation before moving to quantitative trading at Goldman Sachs. Vinay also holds a bachelor's degree in computer science and economics from Harvard. Vinay, welcome to the show. Alex, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's kick things off because I'm first off, I'm fascinated to know how you made your way to the world of startups and investing. Absolutely. I can take it from the very beginning. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and my parents were immigrants from India. My dad worked in tech. So from a young age, I had an exposure to math and science and really grew up as a math and computer science nerd, if if you will. And so I did a bunch of math and computer science research. And when I went to Harvard for college, I thought I was going to be an academic and go do a PhD and and pursue that career path. And I very accidentally came upon entrepreneurship. A friend and I attempted to start a company. The basic idea was we wanted to turn email inboxes into to-do lists and sort of build what Superhuman has, has built today, but I guess a little too early. And the startup was a total failure. It didn't work out. But I sort of caught the entrepreneurship bug, and I realized just how magical startups can be. You're taking new ideas, you're exposing them to the world. And unlike in academia, where the output is a peer-reviewed paper that gets read by a few people, in entrepreneurship, if you build something that's really meaningful, you can impact millions of people at scale and really make the world a better place. And so I sort of knew I wanted to spend my career around startups and around entrepreneurs. And I was very lucky uh, to actually get a job at Bessemer right out of college, um, and the rest is history. What a story. And I'm curious to know, what made that switch in your head? What was the catalyst to go from, look, it's no longer now pursuing the PhD route, being an academic, and actually instead, look, I, I much more enjoy the practical sense here and want to get amongst the weeds? Yeah, I, I think a big part of it is just realizing I wasn't quite as good at math and computer science as I really thought it was. So I think a big part of it was just like realizing my own inability to probably be a talented academic and realizing that perhaps uh, my strengths lay more in in thinking about new startup ideas and connecting with entrepreneurs and um, spending time in that world. No, fascinating. And you know, moving from Harvard to then Bessemer and also your your early career angles, I'm equally uh, interested in understanding, Vinay, what are some of the biggest takeaways here from that early career that you've now taken across to the sphere of investing? So I'm in the unique position of having mostly been a career investor. I had obviously this this some entrepreneurial experience. I've spent some time building software in a bunch of different capacities. Most of my career experience has been as a VC, which is definitely a, a unique uh, career path to take. And I think the big lesson I've learned, um, and I'm still learning a lot of lessons, but the big one I've learned so far is that investing really is a pattern matching business. And I feel like there's this common misconception that 
in order to be a great VC, you need to have, you know, perhaps built and exited a successful startup. But I think what I've learned, and if you look at the data, you'll see that a lot of the most successful VCs, a lot of the people who are on Midas list are actually people who have been career VCs. And so I think the big lesson and takeaway from that is that, and, and this is a lesson I've gathered from the amazing investors I've had the privilege to work with at Bessemer and now Two Sigma and many of the co-investors I've, I've served on boards with, it's that investing is fundamentally a pattern matching game. It's just about seeing as many companies as possible. And over time, you just refine your filter as to what a great business and a great entrepreneur looks like. And as, as you know, I'm a big machine learning nerd. And the, the, the analogy I like to make is that investing in VC is much like building a machine learning model. You just need to get as much training data as possible. You need to see as many companies, as many entrepreneurs, as many pitches as possible. And over time, your filter or your algorithm for identifying what greatness looks like sharpens over time. I think that's the key to what makes someone really, really good at VC. Yeah, before we dive into that ML, um, which I'm equally, equally uh, interested in, in pursuing there, Vinay, um, I am just from the outset curious to know, look, you, you're now obviously at, at Two Sigma. What attracts you most to early stage investing? A couple things. I would say, first of all, I am fundamentally a mission-driven person. Like, I'm interested in things that help make the world a better place. And I really do believe that the practice of venture is a mission-driven craft in the sense that we are hopefully funding companies and ideas that make the world a better place and move humanity forward in a meaningful way. And moreover, I've always felt like talent is universal, opportunity is not, and that the venture capital business is really about remedying that talent and opportunity gap and funding entrepreneurs who may not have the resources themselves to go out and build businesses, but providing them that infrastructure to help them realize their dreams. And so the, the first thing that really attracts me to, to early stage investing is just this fundamental mission driven nature of it. And I think the second thing from a more practical perspective is the day to day of being a VC is so much fun. You just get to spend your time talking to really smart and talented people who have deep empathy with the problems that they're solving. And you just get to learn from them. I just get to sit in these pitch meetings all day, hear people's visions and dreams, learn from them, and hopefully gather some of those learnings myself and, and make myself smarter in the process. And so it's just a, it's just a really fun job. Vinay, what are some of the core traits that you look for when backing the next great founder? There are a couple things I've gathered so far. And again, I think I'm still in the stage of my career where I'm continuing to refine my model of what makes an exceptional founder. But a couple things stand out to me so far. The first, which I alluded to earlier, is having deep empathy with the problems that you're solving. So founders who have really felt this pain point in some capacity and are solving this problem because they themselves experience the problem and have this deep desire to solve it. So that's the first thing that I think is, is a very valuable trait in founders, particularly in the enterprise uh, B2B software realm. And then I think the second trait is the ability to 
explain complex ideas in simple ways or put another way, clarity of thought. I've always felt like is such a compelling characteristic in, in the best entrepreneurs. Um, because if, if an entrepreneur can't concisely explain their vision to a venture capitalist, I spend my entire day talking to entrepreneurs and learning about ideas. It's unlikely that they're going to be able to, in a, in a compelling way, articulate that vision or idea to an early hire or a customer or other folks in the ecosystem. And so the, 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 ability to tell a good story and articulate these complex ideas in a very simple, concise way, I think is another trait that I, uh, that really stands out in the best entrepreneurs. Wolf over at Lux Capital, he says that one of the most important traits of a founder is an individual who can tell a story. Um, so that I can definitely resonate with that because those are the people who hire talent, um, garner capital, garner attention, and ultimately unlock a lot of a lot of value in this world. So, yeah, great, great points there, Vinay. And within your investing focus at Two Sigma, it is early stage in enterprise software, machine learning, marketplaces, and infrastructure. What excites you most about these sectors? I would say at a high level, I and, and my team at Two Sigma, we have this overarching thesis that data-driven software is the future. So if we look at the past couple decades of innovation in software, it's largely been driven by uh, the shift from software being on-prem to software being in the cloud. And then as we think about sort of the next couple decades of of innovation, we really think it's going to be now we have a bunch of data that's stored in the cloud and we can learn things from it and we can build automation we can optimize processes and we can really move towards a future of uh, that we call data-driven software. And so that's sort of the broad overarching thesis that I'm excited about. And I, and I think it manifests in a whole bunch of different ways. Obviously, one way is around sort of applied machine learning innovations in software, things like robotics, things like self-driving cars that I believe are going to be inevitable in the next couple of decades. Uh, but but the sort of second order thing that I'm very interested in is the sort of picks and shovels that are enabling this this revolution to happen. So the tools that empower developers and data scientists and machine learning engineers to actually build and deploy the software in more effective ways. And so th- those are broadly speaking, when I think about sort of machine learning enterprise software, or even this concept of infrastructure software, I'm really referring to both the applications of this technology in different verticals, but also the the core picks and shovels that allow people to build and deploy these uh, applications. How do you see these trends? You mentioned applications and tools there for at least both playing out over the next 10 years, Vinay. Yeah, I mean, I, I continue to be really excited about both ML apps and ML infra over the next 10 years. I think the big thing that I'm constantly thinking about is what are the parts of this value chain that will be owned by the large cloud providers, the Googles, the Amazons, Microsofts of the world that have the data and the compute power um, to actually build amazing models. But ultimately, a lot of those those models are lead gen for their cloud infrastructure business. And so a big part of the stuff that I think about is what are ways that entrepreneurs can leverage a lot of the open source and free and uh, 
you know, tools and algorithms that are out there to actually build very application specific um, things. And so I, I continue to be very excited about companies that are leveraging a lot of the tools that are out there to build, to, to solve very specific problems, to build machine learning models that tackle um, niche domains, things like um, healthcare and diagnostics, uh, things like robotics that in computer vision that's focused on solving very specific problems. I, I continue to think that, again, in the next two decades, or at least in the next decade, we are going to see a massive shift in our economy towards a lot more automation, um, and, and that it's going to be really exciting. It's also going to come with a lot of perils around understanding what employment looks like in a future where many jobs can be automated. Um, I think there's a future where our economy functions at full output without full employment. And there are obviously a number of interesting policy implications of that. But overall, I, I continue to be very excited about this technology and where we're headed. You mentioned some of those you know, broader subsectors there, but I'm equally curious to know what are some of the greatest opportunities within those sectors that you're fundamentally getting excited about now, Vinay? Yeah, I, th- I think at a high level, um, technologies in uh, computer vision and robotics are very exciting and and continue to be very nascent. And, and I think that there's a lot of exciting potential for um, robotics in, in specific areas that are, you know, really tough jobs for humans to do today that ultimately could be automated through, through robots. Um, on a sort of unrelated note, and I wrote an article about this recently, I, I think some of the innovations around natural language processing and natural language understanding are really interesting, specifically around large language models, which have shown to be, you know, really good, if not better than humans at some of these more complex imaginative tasks. And so I, you know, as, as we divide the world up into sort of mundane physical tasks that a robot could do, but also some of the more imaginative, creative, empathetic tasks that humans are really good at, I actually think machine learning could someday be really good at both of these things, um, which is definitely an interesting uh, world to think about. Explore there, Vinny. You, you, you did release that great article on long, large language models, essentially showing that, look, machine learning can be really good, if not better than humans at these complex imaginative tasks, at least for, you know, uh, the the well layman's like myself out there Vinet. you know if you're explaining this to a five-year-old talk me through this process sure so large language models are are basically these models that understand human language better than a human can fundamentally and so the use cases the applications are pretty endless when you think about it um at a high level i don't know if you've played around with dally or any of these LLMs that are public. But um, really what, what happened was Google Brain released this concept called the Transformer in 2017, which was sort of a new architecture for understanding human language. They trained these models on like heterogeneous, very large volumes of data, basically scraped the entire web and scraped all the text data in the world and built these models and actually achieved these discontinuous jumps in performance in these models. And so large language models are basically able to do things like 
you can give them a description of a piece of art and they're actually able to generate that piece of art better than a human could. Or you could give a large language model a bunch of customer feedback, a bunch of random assorted um, text data, and they could actually aggregate that and write up a report about um, a product, for example. Um, other applications are you could say, hey, can you write me a blog post about Alex Banks and his podcast? And a large language model would be able to write up like a two paragraph summary of your podcast and what it's all about. So th these are tasks that historically required, you know, a lot of critical thinking and creativity for a human to do. And now we have algorithms that can actually do that as well, if not better than humans. And so that really flips the script around our traditional understanding of machine learning, where, again, as I was alluding to earlier, we historically thought, okay, machine learning will do the really mundane stuff, the stuff that humans don't want to do. And that'll leave humans more time to do the things that we're really good at, which is be creative and write and create art and connect with other humans in an empathetic way. But suddenly we have this world where machines are actually better at humans than the things that, that humans do really well. And unfortunately, the state of computer vision right now means that humans are actually still better than machines at the boring things like picking up a box and moving it from one end of the room to another. And so it's very feasible that in the next five or 10 years, we have a future where the knowledge work, the stuff that you go to college to do, is actually being automated and done by algorithms and the more menial labor is actually still being done by humans, which is a pretty crazy concept to, to really think about. Yeah, it's, it's an area that absolutely fascinates me, Vinay. I, I recently watched a, a YouTube video on the time lapse of artificial intelligence and just some of the, some of the concepts that were being thrown out there um, where we're going to be 10, let alone 50 years' time, is, is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I guess flipping back slightly to the investing side at Two Sigma, I'm curious to know your process in finding the next promising entrepreneur to back. So zooming out a bit, I, I can give you a quick overview of Two Sigma, who we are, what we do, sort of how we started doing venture investing, because I think that underlies a lot of how we source and how we find great entrepreneurs. But Two Sigma, the broader organization that we're part of is a very large asset manager. So it's a $65 billion quantitative hedge fund um, that basically started in the early 2000s and built machine learning models to understand financial markets and make investment decisions in, an, in a fully automated algorithmic way. And so basically what we realized a decade ago is we have a ton of expertise in-house. We have you know, 100 plus machine learning PhDs, a thousand plus engineers in a broader organization. So we have this unique network and a unique set of insights within our organization that can help us identify what the next big technology trends are gonna be. And so that's sort of very much core to our investment philosophy as a venture firm, is that we leverage those resources, those expertise, the networks that we have within Two Sigma to actually find companies. So practically speaking, our you know, thousand plus engineer uh, employee base almost serves as scouts of sorts in, in finding interesting investment opportunities for us. Uh, secondly, we, we are one of the few venture firms that actually has multiple software engineers on our 
venture team building products to help source and find companies in an, in an automated way. So we have an entire software platform that we've built internally to help us find companies. And so to, to answer your question directly, we, we sort of have a very unique approach to sourcing and finding investments that's uh, uh, rooted in sort of our background and philosophy at Two Sigma Investments. And so we've been doing venture investments for a decade now. And, you know, we're not a corporate or a strategic fund. We manage capital largely on behalf of independent LPs. Um, and, and we're largely focused on early stage investing. So leading investments at the seed, Series A and Series B stages. No, I, I love how that internal component works there, having such a foundational baseline of, of knowledge, you know, 100 plus machine learning PhDs. I think that's an absolute force to be reckoned with, Vinay. Um, so super, super cool. Um, I am interested to hear your thoughts, though. What would you say is the most overlooked sector inside VC right now? I, I continue to believe there's a ton of opportunity in really boring, grubby areas of software or in, in software products that touch everyday people in a meaningful way. And so what I mean by this is I think there are a bunch of verticals um, where things are still being done on pen and paper or via Excel spreadsheet. And I think there's a huge opportunity to modernize a lot of industries. I think of verticals like trucking or moving companies or uh, oil and gas industrials. There are so many verticals that are so antiquated and fragmented and someone could come in and build really modern software for these underserved verticals. So that's sort of one area I think a lot about. Uh, on a related note, I think software that sells to consumers that historically haven't had access to software, I think is also another really interesting uh, parallel of that on the consumer side. As, as an example, when I was at Bessemer, I sourced an investment in a company called Upside, which is now one of the most popular apps um, for gas and convenience store discounts. And the, and the basic premise of this app is that the two-sided marketplace for consumers, it gives them you know, a few cents back at the pump per gallon when they're filling up gas. And for gas station and convenience store operators, it helps them price in a more dynamic way, much like uh, e-commerce companies would leverage data to price their products more intelligently. It's actually empowering brick and mortar retailers to actually have the same capability. And so I think, I think what's most fascinating about this investment and what's really helped it thrive is it really sells to an overlooked audience on both the consumer and the B2B side, right? You think about everyday Americans who have to commute to their jobs, um, who are struggling now with gas prices so high. For them, saving 10 cents per gallon on gas is hugely valuable. Um, and it, it's actually a massive population of people who could benefit from an app like this. And then on, on the business side, a, a small gas station or convenience store owner operator historically has not had access to the most modern software um, to help them run their business. And so it's helping with, with that uh, population as well. And so I think that those sort of investments that target populations that are historically underlooked or underserved, I, I think that that's where there continues to be a ton of um, a ton of opportunity in venture capital. And then with Two Sigma specifically, where do you see the firm heading over the next decade? 
Yeah, we're we're very ambitious. Our our goal is to build the next category defining venture capital business. And I think core to our philosophy is this idea that venture is a bit of a hypocritical business. It historically has been usually a small group of men sitting around a table opining on what the future looks like based on their opinions and their networks. And you know, while venture investors are telling our portfolio companies, hey, you have to leverage the latest in technology. You have to be super data-driven, uh, to be super modern in the way that you operate. really evolve in a century. I mean, I had the privilege of starting my career at Bessemer, which is the oldest venture capital firm in the country. And I imagine that Bessemer in the early 20th century, the way they looked at deals and evaluated companies, the way they do that today, it probably remains pretty unchanged. And so our idea at Two Sigma is how do we completely rethink the venture model from the ground up? So a lot of that is the sort of things that I was alluding to earlier with leveraging our technical network, leveraging our resources to find companies in a new way, leveraging software and data and automation in the way that we source companies. One of the common sayings in venture is, you know, we don't like services businesses. We don't like businesses that are selling services. But when you think about venture capital, it is fundamentally a services business. And so a lot of what we think about as well is how do we turn venture into more of a product business? Are there things that we can actually productize with software and then offer to our portfolio company um, rather than just services? So at a high level, we're really thinking about how do we rebuild the venture model from the ground up? How do we scale? How do we, uh, how do we, be the best partners that we can be to the companies that we back. Amazing. And taking a bit of a step back now, Vinay, what would be the greatest lesson you've learned from investing so far? Well, first, it's just that investing is really, really hard. Venture is a very hard business, and I'm, I'm still early in my career. I still have a lot to learn. Um, and so there are many lessons and losses that, that I'm sure will come. Um, but I guess the, the first thing is just that entrepreneurship is really, really hard. It is so difficult to build a great business. It's very lonely. It's very challenging. You really can't predict the future, and, and no business becomes immensely successful without a ton of hardship along the way. And so I think that's been a huge lesson for me just in, in observing the entrepreneurs that we work with, the ones who have succeeded, the ones who have failed, is that regardless of, of how the path goes, it's incredibly challenging. It takes a very special, courageous person to actually embark on this path. And that, you know, in, in the world of tech Twitter today, we do a lot of trashing on entrepreneurs for various things because, you know, things go wrong or the company doesn't work out. And I think it's very easy to be a bystander and to sit on the sidelines and critique people. But um, having sort of been in those boardrooms where, tough decisions are made and having spent a lot of time now with entrepreneurs along their journey. Um, I just have the, the utmost respect for entrepreneurs and, and realize that what they're doing is so, so difficult. And if you weren't investing with Two Sigma today, Vinay, what would you be working on? So I'm a huge music fan, totally separate from VC. I'm a big, I, I grew up playing a lot of classical music and then um, I'm a big hip hop and R&B fan on the side. And so I think if I were not a VC today, I think my dream job would be to work in A&R at a record label 
and basically A and R within record labels. I think of them as like sort of like the VCs within record labels who basically find new artists and try to sign them and and discover sort of new musical talent. And so I think that that would be a dream job for me if I wasn't a VC. It would be sort of the VC equivalent within the music industry. And slightly aside from uh, from VC again there, Vinay, when you think of success, who is the first person that comes to mind and why? So th- this may be a bit of a cheesy answer, but I definitely think of my parents um, because like so many immigrant parents, you know, they came to this country with nothing and, and built an amazing life for themselves and really achieved the American dream in a lot of ways and did so much uh, to ensure that my brother and I could have a successful future. So I, I'm immensely grateful for them. And I, I think they embody success because of uh, what they've built and where they came from, but also because of uh, the way they live their lives. The, they've built a great community. Um, they've, they're fundamentally really good human beings. They have a lot of fun. So I, I, I think success um, is really embodied by the way they live their lives. No, I, I, I love that. Um, you know, parents are ultimately the, uh, the people who put you on this, on, on, on the face of this earth in the first place and uh, do a hell of a lot of good. Um, so yeah, I'm absolutely behind that. And to finish things up here, Vinay, what does your perfect day look like? That, that is a good question and a tough question. I don't, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can plan it out for you exactly, but I think it would involve a lot of unstructured time with friends just hanging out, um, a lot of laughter, good food, good music, some dancing. Um, I think it would just be a fun, unstructured day with the people I love the most. (laughs) That's really terrific. You know, I I often get answers of, you know, it would be something along the lines, you know, a a very structured, regimented uh, routine, but it's it's so great to hear the, the flip side of that, you know, something with with no real boundaries, just going with the flow and seeing seeing good friends, seeing good people. I think that's that's what life's all about. Absolutely. Totally agreed. Amazing, buddy. Well, listen, we have come to the end now, but this has been super, super great to do. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alex. Really appreciate it. Next time I'm in London, I'm sure we'll hang again. But thank you for having me on and um, have an awesome rest of your day.